You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Banana. Aristotle was not Belgian. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. This is a really special episode of the podcast, and I am recording this intro and recorded this conversation from the Oak Cliff Film Festival here in Dallas, Texas. Um, Oak Cliff is actually where we shot part of the feature film Satanic Panic. Dallas, of course, is the bigger home to uh, Fangoria's new feature Satanic Panic, which I have a quick cameo in. And um, so I was thrilled at the opportunity to come here and be a part of this film festival where uh, Satanic Panic is screening um, for uh, for its Texas premiere, its hometown premiere. Um, so today my guest is Haley Griffith and Haley is the star of Satanic Panic. So when Oak Cliff reached out and they said, hey, you know, we know that you have your podcast. We know that Satanic Panic is playing here. Would you be interested in coming and recording an episode from the festival? And of course I said yes. And um, since Haley is based out of New New York and I'm based out of LA. This seemed like a perfect opportunity for me to finally have her on the podcast. Um, so I am so grateful to the Oak Cliff Film Festival for making this happen. And I cannot tell you what an amazing time that I am having at this film festival. This is such an intimate, special film festival where you really feel like you are getting to know people and you really feel like you are getting to know the people who um, live and work in the industry in Dallas and in Oak Cliff. And, um, you know, they. this is such a filmmaker-centric festival, which is so cool. And not just narrative either. I've met people who have documentary shorts. I've met people who have narrative shorts. I've met people who have narrative features here. It's it's just such a cool, intimate community. And um, if you are a filmmaker uh, looking to, you know, maybe you're working on something and you're looking to submit to a film festival or maybe you're looking for tax incentives or, or crews, you know, outside of Los Angeles and New York. I cannot tell you, uh, I cannot tell you enough how much I've enjoyed this experience. So absolutely uh, keep Oak Cliff on your radar. Their website is oakcliffffilmfestival.com. Um, obviously, by the time this episode goes up, 2019's fest will have come to a close, uh, but definitely keep them on your radar for 2020. Um, so today, as I mentioned, my guest is Haley Griffith. Haley Griffith is the star of Satanic Panic. This was her first feature. Uh, but it won't be her only feature for long. I know she is hard at work on other projects. Um, and she picked Pulp Fiction, which I was so glad that she picked. It seemed it wasn't something that I was expecting from her, but I am really glad that she chose this one because we talk a lot about 
you know, as an actor, how this changed her perception of of movies in general and acting uh, for film. But also we talk about how it per- changed her perception of how to watch film. Um, you know, this is a movie that in s- almost 60 episodes of this podcast, I can't believe that it hasn't been picked yet. So I was thrilled when she chose it. Um, so once again, this episode is recorded from the Oak Cliff Film Festival and their website is oakcliffffilmfestival.com. And uh, keep your eye out for Satanic Panic, which both Haley and I am are in. <laughs> and that's going to be out in a theatrical release and VOD on September 6th, 2019. Here she is, Haley Griffith, talking about Pulp Fiction. I'm so excited to have you on the show, oh, Haley. Thank you for having me. Of course. And um, so just to set the scene for our audience, we are currently laying on my bed <laughs> in, our, in our, my hotel because um, we are both in Dallas, Texas yes. for the um, Oak Cliff Film Festival. And it's really fun. I'm so I actually had wanted to have you on the show for a while oh. since we did our little scene together. Oh, so good. <laughs> so fun a couple of months ago. But you're based out of New York. Yes. And yeah. so I was like oh no when am I gonna get the chance but this was sort of the whole deal Oak Cliff wanted to not only promote their awesome film festival yeah. but um but also Satanic Panic and since I had already had Chelsea on oh, I was like perfect. why don't we just have Haley <laughs> um and I'm so glad the movie that you picked would so, but I yes. want to tell the audience what you we were deciding between. Oh, yes. So we we, entered, <laughs> we landed on Pulp Fiction, which I love. Um, so but good. we were deciding between this and Caddyshack. Yes. <laughs> so I was curious if you can give me like a little intel on that. So Caddyshack is one of those movies that I saw as a kid, which mm-hmm. is, I don't know if it was appropriate, but <laughs> that's my family. Um, we've always been big Bill Murray, Chevy Chase fans. I mean... A Christmas Vacation is our ultimate Christmas movie, so I'm big fans of them. And I saw that growing up, and I just fell in love with comedy and the style and how just it's outrageous, but it's so grounded mm-hmm. in truth that it makes it even funnier. Yeah. And I remember when I was younger, my brother, he was, because he's four years younger than me, He, my parents got him like one of those little dancing gophers and and he like and it like sang and danced so I love that movie but I'm obsessed with Pulp Fiction and I was like it's so I mean I could talk about both for like hours but Pulp Fiction there's so much to it yes and that like changed everything when I saw that movie so I'm like I think that's a good that's a good one to do let's talk about that like because you know here's the thing that I love I love that you picked this movie because I never would have guessed it for you which is great yeah um but I feel like in the narrative of this movie and pop culture Mm -hmm. there are so many young filmmakers especially or screenwriters or men but are specifically men who saw this and you saw it emulated yeah you know so much it was a game changer but I don't feel like I hear at least publicly yeah women uh especially in front of the camera talking about how this movie changed the game for them so please I would love to hear a little bit about that yeah so I first saw the film in actually in college I was late to the game with this I'd seen Kill Bill um before and I was obsessed with that and Uma Thurman I was just I was like I want to be her great but when I saw this movie I was in I was actually in a history of film class okay and but it was 
it was history of film, but the but the teacher he was a big uh, film analysis writer okay. and, and would write for all these big magazines. So when we got into the class, he's like, this class is going to be mainly that. He's like, it's called history of film, but it's more about analyzing films, and that's what we would write about. So our for our final assignment which he ended up canceling, which I was so upset oh, about because no. I had so much to write about. Um, we had to we had to watch uh, Reservoir Dogs, okay. Kill Bill, and Pulp Fiction. Okay. So that's when I was first introduced to the film, and it blew my mind. I was obsessed, and ma- mainly for me, I mean, there's so much that we'll talk about that I, I loved about it, but Mia Wallace, I mean, uh-huh. I feel like, I mean, she's just an iconic character, but for me, that kind of changed a lot mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, even as an actor, things that I wanted to go out for and how I saw female characters and what I wanted to do with with that and how I think female characters should be written. Um, because the character is so, she has so much power mm-hmm. in this male-dominated yes. world. And she's just bad as fuck. Mm-hmm. And, and she just doesn't really care in a way. And she... She's sexy and seductive, but she wears like a fucking power suit. Right. And she doesn't have to be this, you know, boobs out kind of thing. She is so sexy in her, in her and powerful in this just white t-shirt mm-hmm. and these black crop pants. And and I loved that for her. And she wasn't scared of Marcellus, mm-hmm. who has yes. who everyone is terrified of. And even being married to him, she's not afraid of him. And she holds so much power, which I think you can see with her relationship with Vincent. Yeah. And even with the, what they mentioned, the guy that she throws off, that uh, Marcellus throws yeah. off the roof. She has so much power, which I think was huge to see. And do you, I think it's interesting, too, because I agree with you. But what else is interesting is that within the context of that conversation, mm-hmm. it's not like... Nobody is blaming her. No. But no. but there is a hint of, oh, well, don't get too close to her. Right. Because if you fuck up, then you're going to die. Right. And I love how, and it's like, so all these guys are, because these guys are seduced in a yeah. way. Yeah. Even though I don't think, like, I think you can separate her sexuality from using that in a way to yes. manipulate yes. them. Yes, and that, yes. Because, I mean, I think it's almost like a, it's almost like a father. So it's like your dad's somebody who's friends with your dad. Yes. Taking you out because yes. you're new to a city yeah. and you know, you know that your dad is, you know, you kind of lean into, well, my dad told you to, so you have to, Yeah. you know, and it doesn't feel like this. And also the thing, like the things she asks Vincent to do are not, you know, like a power move. No, dancing right. with her is right. not a power move. It's just yeah. like I want to do like, it, so I we're going to do, this, do so it. So we're doing it. Yeah, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah. But it walks that line. Yes. I think of like of of a woman, a woman quote fingers, yeah. a woman's power. Yes, right, because yeah. it could very and and it that power in a lot of ways comes from being who she's married to. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think she abuses it. Exactly right, which I think is also huge because I think a lot. Uh, th- there, there is that fine line of having power and abusing it, but also, but she doesn't, I don't think she does that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also, cause she's not like a lot of women too. She's very com- comfortable in herself. Yeah. Like even the scene where she's in the bathroom when she says, I got to go powder my nose and goes, and there's all these women in there just like doing their face and fixing their makeup. And she just does a line of Coke and mm-hmm. steps up and is just owns herself and walks out so confidently. 
And there was something about that that she didn't feel like she had to be like those women or, or you know, she was so comfortable in herself that she's like, this is just what I'm going to do. And, yeah. and it's great. And then I love that she, because she doesn't seem like the type of person that would go to this 50 style restaurant. But she's like, this is what I think would be fun. Mm. And we're doing it. And I love, she's so, there's so many levels and layers to her that I think is just so fascinating in a, in a female character. And we also learn about her, like, cause so talking about her power a little bit and who it comes from, who it comes from, honestly, um, I love that she tells the story. So when um, when Jules is telling Vincent about Mia being an actress yes. and her biggest claim to fame was, oh, she was in a pilot yeah. and it didn't go. But, you know, she did that. I feel like they both are impressed yeah. by, you know, the fact, oh, OK, she's an actress. She did a pilot. I don't know anything about that, but that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. But I feel like the way she tells the story, it's almost like she's sad. She's embarrassed yeah. a little. Yeah. And I like that there's a layer to her of going like, yeah, well, I you know, have this opportunity. It didn't work out. I'm not anybody that you would recognize. Mm -hmm. I am married to a man who is pretty influential. He in some ways gives me my power, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, I just think that there's a complexity, there's a complexity to her. Yes. And, and I like that there's a little bit of a sadness to her too, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I think it makes, it gives more dimension. Cause I think it's easy to write women, you know, one certain way or have them be, you know, they're either this way or that way. And I think it's so interesting and so smart to have so many different layers and, and yeah, cause she does seem embarrassed a little bit, mm-hmm. but she's like, this is just what it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I loved that when I saw it. Cause I feel like I haven't really seen, I mean, now I feel like there's more thankfully, but at the time I didn't feel like I'd really seen any, complex women especially in like a very male driven movie totally yes because it's it's normally the female characters will take a backseat sometimes Mm -hmm. especially in older films and and it was just so it just changed so much for me I was like oh my god I love that they're representing women this way and that she's so it just just complex like you said which I think is so great to see the one thing I will say that I found interesting when I was rewatching it and this is just my opinion yeah when I was watching it because Uma Thurman, I, I love Uma Thurman. Yeah. And I think that she is spectacular in Kill mm-hmm. Bill. Oh, and the, the inti- both, obviously, both films, the, t- the total package. Yeah. And I believe that she is a very talented performer. Mm-hmm. And I believe that she, I mean, truly, really and truly, Kill Bill, that whole saga is like, to me, it could be the performance of a lifetime. Right? I completely agree. But I, when I was re-watching Pulp Fiction here, especially coming off of Reservoir Dogs, mm. and especially knowing that she's married to Ethan Hawke, who is yeah. a, a respected actor at this time, yeah, and um, and that she's a former, former model and she's acting... I actually saw the performance as a little bit nervous. Mm. I and may and that could be right. projection. Like who knows? Right, right. I, I could be but I I was watching her and I don't know if I felt like the performance was confident. Now, yeah. Mia Wallace right. is very con- And by the way, this is a character to me at least that when you put on the outfit, oh. when you put on the wig, yep. it's like you can I feel like getting away with it makes it sound like I'm dismissing her work. I'm not. No, yeah. But but I feel like it's such a 
um, like such a powerful visage yeah. and the dialogue is so cool yeah. and the setting is so cool that like the, it's all there. Yeah. And oh, she brings yeah. so much to that role. But I did, in my opinion, when I was watching it today, I was like, oh, she seems a little nervous. Oh, that's so interesting. But maybe again, projecting, who knows? But but I, I would get that too, because especially Quentin's done huge and to come onto a movie. Right that there's so much, I'm sure so many people were so like, what is this going to be? There's so much on yes. it. Like how people are feeling about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's right. like everyone yes. is expecting the best and what it's going to be. And, you know, to have a successful husband, you want to be in your own. You want to own right. your own thing. So it, that does make, I, now I'm like, I got to go. I'm like, damn, that makes so much sense. <laughs> well, I don't know. Because there is, I can't even, I can't even fathom that amount of pressure, mm -mm. especially to be like the main female yes. character. I would lose my goddamn mind. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and, and everything that we know about Quentin Tarantino as a director now, because he is such a recognizable yeah. figure. Um, he's, a, he, a, appears to be a very specific individual yeah. and that type of stuff makes me nervous anytime oh, I'm on set stresses me out but then to think that you're playing opposite John Travolta <laughs> and Ving Rhames and Ving Rhames is such a powerhouse he's such I mean yeah. physically he's a large man yeah but he's he is has such a presence oh and God. a confidence in this movie but playing off of Travolta um, and honestly, like this might sound silly, but dancing with John Travolta, like oh, that's a huge fucking uh, deal. Yeah. In the legacy of pop culture. Yeah. And to hold your own with that. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is impressive. Yeah. For oh, sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of Travolta, Ugh. one thing I wanted to mention, because yes. he's so good in this movie. I know. I um, love him. I love him, too. And I but I I looked up his career up until that point point okay because the the legacy about pulp fiction is that um basically quentin tarantino um reignited his career mm, mm. Uh, because at this point he had been like i would say his last big hit was in 1989 and it was look who's talking right that was yeah, a huge right. huge movie but at that point he had just done a second sequel so look who's talking now which was the third look who's talking movie in 1993 oh. like it, it flopped at the box office like what you know no gas in that tank yeah, it's yeah, the third yeah. movie in yeah. a really weird franchise <laughs> um but uh but you know he was he was not cold ice cold yes. at, his career was ice cold at this yeah. point and this really was a thing that kicked off his renaissance and i just think like but what i also wrote down was that Tarantino didn't make Travolta cool he made him cool again yes you know what yeah. i mean yep. and i'm so i just think it's so um this role was he Travolta? I don't think it should be uh, underappreciated how much this is a character. This isn't oh, John Travolta yeah. just rolling up and nope. like being like John Travolta. You know what right, I mean? Yeah. So that really stood out to me this time. Yeah, because he's so, especially from you know John, how John Travolta is, especially at that time, it is so different from him, which I think it really shows his versatility in yeah. that, and that he sh like it, it's a good thing that they you know reignited mm -hmm. his career because he is so good, and especially in the movie, he's just cracks me up. He's so funny. Oh my god, he gives such a great performance, yeah. and it's so believable. And I, it's I didn't know that that's what restarted. Yeah. Oh wow. yeah. And that kind of you know like for instance, um, I want to say, gosh, I guess. Uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but basically he kind of has a Tarantino after this sort of 
has a little bit of a reputation of finding actors oh. who were in their prime yeah. and then kind of like, like cooled yeah. and then like basically giving them a second life, which, which is that. like, I mean, you can think about um, Pam Greer oh, and, yeah. you know, and um, uh, Jackie Brown yeah. and the idea that like Pam Greer was always a goddess, of course, um, mm. especially in her heyday. But that you know, black exploitation cinema cinema only took her career so far. Right. And so we you know, I think you watch Jackie Brown and you're like, wow, this is Tarantino obviously wrote this for her, mm -hmm. but she is so good in it. Oh my God. And yeah. deserves to be right. You know, right. Yeah. Which I think is great about him as well that he does that because I think, you know, when you, you I mean I've only you know, I'm not to that level. I wouldn't I couldn't necessarily understand, but I can't even imagine being so popular, mm -hmm. doing so many things, and then just, you know, you hit that, which happens a lot, I think you hit a, a plateau where nothing's really happening. And for a director to want to revive that and to be like, no, we're bringing you back, I, you're, let's show everyone what you can do, I think is amazing. And yeah. I think not a, not a lot of people do, right. which is huge. Well, because I think he also is such a, I mean, obviously one of the bigger criticisms of Tarantino is that he basically just takes from everywhere and then puts it in a blender yeah, and makes yeah. it, you know, and he calls it a Tarantino smoothie, right. which is fine, I right. think. But the, but I think because you are dealing with a writer director who is a cinephile. Yes. So he knows, yeah. he, I mean, he is like an encyclopedia crazy. of film. And so, so pulling these great characters actors mm -hmm. and thrusting them back onto the spotlight is yeah. is very very cool yeah totally agree i love that about him do you have a favorite sequence is it <sighs> is it like the mia Wall you know the the mia wallace sequence or uh because i don't i i don't know if i have a favorite or not i uh, i have two that i really really love the one is kind of random a little bit it's i love when um John, when uh, Vincent and uh, Jules are driving to go to those guys' apartments. Yes. And they're just talking about the cheeseburgers and yes. the Royale. And then they get there and they're standing outside and they just look at their watch. She goes, oh, we're a little early. Let's go get into character. And they go and they just keep talking. Yes. And just having just a normal conversation. And then they just enter this apartment and it's like a complete... 360 and I just love that yeah. because some like even because I rewatched it recently and that for me just struck something that I just love that contrast but then I also really it just which just says a lot about me and the movies I like something to me is so fucking hilarious and this for me also got me the first time I saw it I was like what is when they're in the car yeah. and they have the guy and he's just leaning back talking to with his gun and just immediately it just yeah. blows. It, it, oh my God, when his head explodes yeah. in the back of the car. that I, I just remember sitting, pausing the movie and just my jaw was dropped and I I didn't know if I wanted to laugh or yelp or and that for me was just kind of a moment that I, I, I have not ever been able to get out of my head that I just think is just hilarious and dark but I just I love that yeah there's a bigger there's a really big conversation about fate and like oh, destiny man. and Here you we know go. what I yeah, mean yeah. yeah and because um, not to like at the I wrote down at the end right mm -hmm. if Jules hadn't quit yeah. would Vincent had survived because mm. I think you can discern that Vince was by himself yeah. in oh, Butch's yeah. apartment yeah. and so the idea is I think you could project I'm sure some nerd somewhere is asked Quentin Tarantino 
know about this and somebody's going, yeah. well, actually, have you read this article? But yeah. um, if Jules had been there with mm -hmm. him, would he have been waiting in the kitchen right. and seen Butch and killed Butch? And then that means right. that, you know, that, and what does that mean? And then Marcellus wouldn't have ended up in Zed's pawn shop or in right. the pawn shop with Zed. And, right. and Butch would, it's just like there's so, or maybe Butch would have been on the ready and, you yeah. know, they would have had a dialogue or something. Yeah. But it's, oh, interesting. Like all these things, yeah. you know, fold, they, of course, they are threaded together um, beautifully in terms of storytelling. But yeah, yeah that's something that I was yeah. thinking about. And, and in terms, again, of like fate and all that stuff. When um, when Jules says, you know, it was when the bullets, when they miss them and he yeah. says it was the divine intervention and he keeps talking about how I think this is a sign. Mm -hmm. I, I and Vincent is like, I don't believe you. I don't. He's like, dude, I don't think that's what it is. And I think it's interesting that from realizing that moment of what he feels is the divine intervention, mm -hmm. Jules then quits. And because Vincent didn't believe him, I think it's interesting then that he then doesn't. Right. make it out of yeah. that scene he dies and I think that's also something really fascinating to me that you know there could be a whole detailed conversation about that but I think that's another thing that I, I was thinking about I was like huh yeah interesting how you know he he didn't believe in it and then he dies yeah and then Jules is able to escape and get out of that life there's so many um like so many I've seen this movie so many times oh, same. <laughs> um and uh and my dad I remember my dad really really loved this movie mm. he thinks it's really he thinks it's so cool but also like anytime it's on tv he stops and watches it oh yeah and um and so as a result, like, I feel like I have been absorbing this movie over time for so long. Oh, I'm sh yeah. And it's the type of thing, too, where you're fortunately, like, if it's on TV, you can put it on at any time, at any oh, point any in the movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, I picked up on a lot more this time around, I think, because I was actually, like, focusing yeah. on it, you know? Yeah. Which I, yeah, that's one of the things about the movie that I love is you can see it as many times yeah. as you damn please. And you will find new things every time, which I, I love movies like that, that it's not just you see it once, you already know what's going to happen. I've like, I, again, I've, like you, I've seen it a bunch of times and even watching it recently, I was picking up on things and I was like, wow, I never noticed that before. Yeah. I never put that together, which is so like even um, something that I, I was like, wait, and I was curious and then I, I looked it up and, and there's been a whole speculation of it. But when Mia Wallace is talking about her pilot, mm -hmm. the five, yes. fo the foxes, there, because I, when she was explaining it to me, or not to me, oh my God, not, okay, well, I was very in it, as yeah, you can you're tell. Yeah, right. no, that's great. Um, when she was saying that her character was really good with knives, yeah. and then there were all these other characters, I was like, that sounds kind of familiar. Yep. And then I Googled it. And all these people had talked about it and they're like, it's just like Kill Bill. Was that the pilot that got picked up? Do you think that maybe this is inside the world of Pulp Fiction? And I was like, oh, that in itself. And I never picked up on that before when she yeah. said it. I was just like, oh, cool, great. And this last time I saw it, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And that's also like a cool little thing that you just, you don't always get with, his, with films. And I love that you can find new things every time. It's kind of like, um, Stephen King, when he writes, mm -hmm. he, it's a shared universe. Yeah. You know, yeah. like characters will show up, people yeah. will mention cities, they'll mention a hotel, yeah. the overlook, they'll mention whatever, even if it, you know, and it's it's really fun because for a creator, I, I think it's really fun because as a creator, uh, they get to, you know, leave little hints and little Easter yeah. eggs everywhere. Yeah, oh yeah. And, uh, and, and as a viewer or as a consumer, it's really fun oh, too. Oh, it's so fun. 
Um, it's like little nods to yeah, everything. Exactly. And there, and again, rewatchability. It's like Oh. It's it there's a lot. Yeah. Um well, oh, and I should also say that um <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who uh, who was curious, it's funny because somebody asked me at Denver Comic Con a few weeks ago. They were like, uh, "Your podcast, it's called Sending the Wolf," and I was like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Where does that name come from?" And I was like, "Oh, it's a pulp, it's a joke about Pulp yeah. Fiction." And they were like, "That's what we thought, but we just didn't know." And I was like, <laughs> "It's literally the first quote yeah. in the theme song." Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, but yes, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. I thank the, God this you did. Is, I know. Yeah. So I was like, wait. I think yeah, that this is like a, a very clear reference yep. to Harvey Keitel's character, the yep. wolf. Um, and yes, okay, so getting that out of the way. <laughs> um, one other thing that I wanted to bring up mm. was um, Sally Menke, who is Quentin Tarantino's, or was Quentin Tarantino's editor. Mm. So uh, I looked this up today because, you know, there's a legacy of um, iconic directors like Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino mm -hmm. working with uh, the same, you know, or not, it's not the same woman every time or between those three men, but yeah. you know, female, these female editors who mm -hmm. are working alongside these iconic directors yeah. and um, actually, and so she edited this movie and, uh, and it was, was nominated for, for best editing that year. Um, but I bring it up because she actually tragically died in oh. 2017, or I'm sorry, in 2010. Oh. Um, I look, I looked it up because I was curious about her career before and after, oh. and um, she was hiking during a heat wave, <gasps> and she was found at the bottom of a canyon, oh. and her, yeah, and her dog <gasps> was with her. And, oh my god! Yeah, it was just a tragic. It sounds oh. like a tragic accident, yeah. um, but Tarantino himself, who who seems to, you know, have a very um, assured um, opinion of himself which yes. is fine because yeah. he's Quentin Tarantino right. yep. I get um, it <laughs> yeah, so that's okay but he said um, I don't write with anybody I write by myself but when it comes to the editing I write with Sally um, so I thought that was really cool because I think oh, I love that you know we talk so much about like if you've ever gone to film school or whatever, you think about auteur theory and you think mm -hmm. about, you know, these guys who are writer, direct, written, produced, directed by, yeah. you know, um, and, and Tarantino certainly is a brand unto himself. But I do think that especially with the this these his type of movies, the editing is so important oh, yeah. and so specific and so much to do with the style and the yes. tone of the overall piece yeah. that um, I think her contributions are really important she started with him on reservoir dogs oh. and cut um inglorious bastards <gasps> oh uh, all the, so she did kill bill as well wow. she did oh everything God. that wow. he they worked together until she died oh. um in 2010 so i just wanted to bring that up because i thought oh, that's amazing yeah that was really interesting because because like you said editing in his films is huge yes that could make or break it because they're so specific yes as to the style and and how they should fit and piece together and that, that makes so much sense that it's been done by the same person because it's all been so good and they all fit his film perfectly. Right. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So I, it's there was a piece that came out a few years ago about like some, some weird piece about, you know, women and editing and like, mm. do they even understand the movies they're editing or something? What? Like that was very condescending. Oh it was God. something about like, it was talking about Martin Scorsese <laughs> and about, and about this type of movies that he makes and how, I don't know, it was just very bizarre, but I think Fuck. it's really important to, you know, shout out these contributions oh um, my God, yeah. in these iconic movies. Yeah. Those are the, some of the most 
well-known talked about movies. Yeah. And it's been done by women. So take that. Yes. Take so that there, article. So there, yes. Screw you article. Yeah. Come on. Um, it was probably a dumb article anyway. Oh, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so when you mentioned that you saw this in college and it yeah. was a film, it was a film class. Did you, um, did you study film in college or did, were you a theater major, acting major? So I was a, I was an acting major in college. Um, but we, because I didn't go to a conservatory, we had to do sure. all regular classes, which was the bane of my existence in college. Um, but. I so we were able to take they had these things called like AOKs and they were areas of knowledge. Okay. And I would always try and take anything art related, anything, you know, film related that if I could. And this class changed so much mm-hmm. for me because I I went into it being like a history of film. I love film. I'm going to I want to work in film, so this will be great. And then I think because he he was such a funny funny man. I'm talking about him like he's dead. He's, I, I think he's alive. I don't know. Um, but he was so funny that he just came in and was like, mm, well, we're, I'm going to teach you through the history of film, but it's not going to be just a history based. We're going to learn about, you know, um, color, color styles and mm-hmm. shot, shot setups and, and what those all meant. And, and for me, that was huge. I think, especially going into films and it also made me look at films differently um, and during that time when I was in that class, every film I would see, mm-hmm. my brain would just go crazy. And yeah. it was kind of hard to enjoy seeing movies at that time because I was constantly looking for, you know, different color schemes or, or what did, what did that shot, what did that, what was in that shot mm-hmm. that meant something else or, or, you know, how did the edits change what, what they're trying to portray, um, but I just I loved that class and I think it really gave me a new appreciation for films yeah. and and the work that goes into it. And, you know, just before I ne- I don't think I ever really had a concept of the amount of detail sure. that are in films. And that kind of just blew my mind. So even going back and, and watching classic films and even watching films now, being able to think of why they chose these certain because mm-hmm. nothing is nothing is not thought out. Everything is very planned for the most part, not every film, but uh, you know, a lot of things are very, it's all there for a reason. And I think getting to find, find what that reason was is so amazing. And that's one of the things I love about films is that there's just so much there to appreciate and so much detail that the directors and writers and editors even put into it, which I think is, is huge. Yeah. I noticed last night when we were, so we're, you know, as I said, at the top of the show, we're recording this from the Oak Cliff film festival and, um, we, we have filmmaker access. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there's this (laughs) at the Texas theater here in Dallas, there's this great little bar hidden above the, like above the lobby area. And, but I noticed yesterday that, um, hanging around the bar where this little lounge filmmaker lounges, um, is an explainer of the art of production design. Mm-hmm. What does a production designer oh, do? Yeah. And so there's a bunch of text on this one bill or this one board and then little individual boards for featured movies here at the festival. Yeah. So Satanic Panic has one. Yeah. Um, uh, Daniel Isn't Real, mm-hmm. which we're going to see later today. Uh, Adam Mortimer's film. Um, Knives and Skin, which we saw last yeah. night. Like each one has a different board with specific images Images and pieces. And I think that this is the thing that I think is really important for audience members to understand is especially people who are 
interested in movies in a, in a bit of a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a team effort. Oh my you God. You cannot make a movie. No. One person cannot. I mean, you, you could. You could. But, but there, film is a collaborative One, medium. 100%. Um, and, uh, and so I think that, you know, shouting this stuff out and talking about a deeper appreciation for what you see on the screen and starting yeah. to notice it yeah. is really valuable and, right. and makes you not only a, a more informed movie watcher, but I think mm-hmm. it makes us better in our professions as right, well. Right. Cause even when you watch a film and there's, you know, someone's bedroom or, or a kitchen, you there are so many people yes. that went into detailing that set and putting things around and make and making it fit into the world of the film that I think is so easily forgotten because you're like, oh well, I'm just I'm watching this movie and they're just in this set. And I'm like, no, there is so much detail yeah. in each scene, which I think is so amazing. And I don't think it always gets enough credit because it's just unbelievable. Like even just working on Satanic Panic, walking around, I was like, "What? The de- the detail?" Yeah, and they're like, "Yeah, we have like a whole team." And I'm like, "It just blows my mind." Yeah, somebody thought of this. Yeah, like which it was somebody's. Crazy. Yeah, somebody's job to figure out what Sam what pins what pins oh would she wear on her biker jacket yeah you it's know insane yeah it's really cool movies are movies are cool movies are just so cool man <laughs> oh, god i love them so we much we love <laughs> them um uh, speaking of movies being cool uh i so you said that you grew up watching you know caddyshack and yeah. the bill and bill murray and chevy chase is are your parents like cinephiles are they in or did your sort of love of film come from somewhere else yeah, I I mean, my parents are, they love, my mom loves movies. My dad is not, he loves movies, but he's also, he's attention span of a gnat. Got it. Um, but he, uh, yeah, I I think a lot of it came from, I was a very dramatic child. Okay. I, not to, not to brag, but <laughs> I, I won most dramatic in preschool. Oh, so it started me. young. So I, I, I always loved acting and, and films and stuff. And my mom always took us to see movies and that was like our big thing. And, and my mom, she was obsessed with Phantom of the Opera, the movie that came out, her whole bedroom. She redesigned it to look like the lair and the dressing room. Like, so the obsession with movies started young. And the flair for the dramatic. Exactly. I'm sorry. (laughs) Wow. Oh yeah. I would walk my mom's room. Like there's a prop from the movie. Like it was just hilarious. And my dad and I, um, we are like father bonding, father daughter bonding moment, which again is going to say a lot about my family <laughs> and I, we would sit, we would sit every Sunday, him and I, and we would just like lay on the couch and we would watch horror movies mm. all day on Sundays. Wow. We would just go through like on demand and try and find something that was like gory or intense and thriller. And we would spend like the whole day just watching horror movies, which was Aww. so much fun. And I think that's where my appreciation for horror came in, but also just watching movies all the time. Yeah. It was huge that's in my house. That's so interesting. Yeah. Did he have a favorite horror movie that you can recall? Or was it just like whatever's on, let's watch it? Yeah, pretty much what, okay. whatever's on. I mean, he lo- Halloween he introduced me to okay. the very first one. 
Um, and we watched a lot of like, <laughs> which, sound, which they're, you know, they're great in their own, but like the wrong turn. Oh, sure. That, yes, they're yes. like, just so good. Um, but like a lot of, a lot of those we were really, we really watched a lot. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, back to, so let's talk back to Pulp Fiction. Yes. Um, you know, I also wanted to bring up Bruce Willis um, because I feel like he, so I've talked about him before. I did like a, a special um, split episode. No, not split. Glass. glass. Yep. Glass. Um, And uh, just because I thought it was very interesting and Mm -hmm. I wanted to. And so I was just like, fuck it. It's my show. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) So, uh, so we did that. And, um, in getting ready to go see Glass, I rewatched Un- uh, Unbreakable, and uh-huh. I rewatched Split, mm. and um, w- which Bruce Willis is barely in, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think that Bruce Willis is an amazing actor. Absolutely, and I- but I also think that he has given up. Um, and I don't say that to be like disrespectful I just in the context so I was thinking about Travolta Mm. and I was like okay well his career was cold at that point what was going on with Bruce Willis Mm. and uh, Bruce Willis' career was not cold like Bruce Bruce Willis was was like he was he was on it and um, and and Sixth Sense didn't come till 1999 Mm. um, and this came out in 94 anyway my point is that um, he's so good in this movie he is so he's so good good and I just love his backstory of yes. just with the watch and his connection to that. And and I just think it's so sweet in a way that he is so connected to this to this piece and, and to this history that is just it's just very it's very different from how he looks. And, and even as right. the fighter in this, I think it's just like a really nice moment to see. Even when he's when he's yelling at his 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 lady, mm-hmm. when he's yelling because she forgot the watch, and to see how emotional he gets, he's so good. Yeah. And I had forgotten about how what a, what a big part he had in the movie and how good he was until I watched it recently. And I was like, oh my god, yeah, he was really great in this movie. Yeah, he um my I think my favorite scene is when he walks out of the after he realizes that he's got to go back and watch the get the watch yes and he's in the car oh my god and he's talking to himself and because it's so human it's also so funny oh my god um and uh and it's like that classic sort of like men and women don't speak the same language and like what's on what's important versus like what's dumb and and he clearly loves her, but he's yeah. just like, "Oh, you're. Why are you an idiot right now?" Yeah. Um, but that—that's probably my favorite scene with him. Yeah, in yeah. It. yeah. I love. That. I also love when he escapes the the basement of that yes. creepy, creepy place, and when he's debating going back. And I like when he's looking around for weapons to yes. use, and the look that he has when he looks up at that samurai sword is literally like a little child. Yeah, it's just like, oh, that. That's what I want. And it was just so, like, kind of sweet in a way because he was just, like, in awe of this thing. And it was just a moment of, yep, this is it. And he just grabs it and goes. And there were so many other very smart weapons he could have brought. But he was like, this is it. And it was just so cute on his face. It just seemed like a child being like, I want the Samurai soul. Uh, (laughs) So here's a question for you. Yes. Do you think that if... Uh, he hadn't, the guy he was boxing Mm -hmm. hadn't died. Mm. Do you think that he would have been able to go back and kill them, especially in 
with a samurai sword because that is really personal. Yes. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. Like that is, that is, um, you're right. The look of excitement on yeah. his face is, is obvious. Yeah. And, um, but I am curious, A, if we believe that he's never killed anybody before. Right. Um, which I do. I, I'm going to go ahead and say I believe that. Yeah. But um, do you think that if the guy hadn't died the night before, so you, do you think it's a, a bit of like, well, fuck it, I've already killed somebody and this, this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this yeah. decision. Yeah. Because even when, when he's in that taxi and she says, well, you killed the guy, he has a moment of like, oh, he's, he's dead. Yeah. And it, it, you know, not like, I'm sure he wanted to beat him until death, but I don't know if that was necessarily his, his goal. But I think in that moment you kind of saw his, it was a shifting moment of, there was a little, a little regret, but then I think it changed into, oh, well, okay. And then I, I, I'm sure for him there, I, I, yeah, I think it was kind of a moment of, fuck it. This is just kind of what has to happen because also if he didn't kill them, how many other people would he would they continue to totally. do this to and and I think he was just like yeah well I mean I've already done it why not well and also if like he left Marcellus Wallace there and they let Mar- and Marcellus got out yeah then he would be hunting him forever you yes. know what I mean yeah. so it like did behoove him yeah to go back in a way right, right. I would argue but I do think that yeah it's such an oddly like yeah you can hit somebody with a hammer and right. you can knock him out right and and leave him for dead yeah. and then go or you can do something real weird with a chainsaw yeah, yeah. Um, or or yeah or you can with your just like ancient tool right you know like actually um stab somebody with a sword which and run slowly. somebody's through yeah it's yeah. just such a bizarre way to kill somebody yeah right um i mean obviously there's no good ways to kill somebody no no uh, <laughs> but yeah i w- i was thinking about that today like does him being a killer whether or not yeah. he meant to right. obviously it was an accident yeah um with the boxer yeah does that does did that lead to maybe a decision later yeah i i think probably yeah yeah and i think also you know the the thing of, well, if he doesn't, if he leaves Marcellus there, Marcellus is going to, I mean, they'll either kill him, right. de- you know, depending, or Marcellus will then be after him forever. And I think it was a good choice of let me go back and save my own ass, yeah. but also save Marcellus's. And I think death for them was just kind of like, fuck it. And that might also be a a, a point towards him in Marcellus's. Oh, of course. Mind that yeah. like, oh, he killed this guy for me. So, right. all right, well, maybe I'll let you go. Well, and that's, yeah, totally yeah. why he lets him live for oh, yeah. sure. Um, I think for me, in terms of my notes on the movie, um, the one last thing that I wanted to mention is, um, so Samuel L. Jackson oh. is just, God, obvious, I just, love just him. like one of the most reliable actors ever. Oh, truly. You know, so, oh, actually, speaking of, of Glass, you know, that was something that I noticed. I mean, we talked about that on the episode. The idea that, like, listen, I'm not an M. Night Shyamalan hater. I like yeah. M. Night Shyamalan's yeah. work. Um, even the stuff I hate, I think, is yeah. a great idea. Right. Or an interesting idea. But, um, boy, he pulled off in glass some really poor dialogue Samuel L. Jackson wow, is yeah. able to oh. elevate everything he's in basically oh, he can sell anything yes yep. and so I bring that up because I look at we haven't done like Oscar talk in a while mm. um on this show but I did so this is famously the year 
where uh, Forrest Gump won Best Picture, uh, okay. and uh, Shawshank was in mm, there, mm, oh my God. Uh, and what Pulp Fiction was oh in there. God. Yes, and so this is like, you know, this is the year where people look back and go, wow, that did was, wow. they get it wrong? Um, and uh, Uma Thurman was nominated, and uh, uh, um, uh John Travolta was nominated mm. and Samuel L. Jackson was nominated, but who he was nominated against mm -hmm. was very interesting because you have Gary Sinise as Lieutenant Dan mm. um, in Forrest Gump, which is a great performance, yeah. like whether it's, you know, a goofy movie or not. Right, right. Um, and then you have uh, uh, Bullets Over Broadway and Quiz Show, but who mm. ended up winning was Martin Landau for Ed Wood, where he played Bella Lugosi. And um, have you ever seen Ed Wood? I love Ed Wood, okay, yeah. yeah. And so I was thinking about it and ultimately huh. I think that Martin Landau's performance in that movie was transcendent I think it's yeah. beautiful oh, yeah. um, but I also think that that's a legacy Oscar too yes. now yeah. again I think that performance it's so hard to say like oh who's got a better performance right, right? oh yeah um, especially when you're playing like a unhistorical figure yeah versus that's where it gets tricky exactly yeah. um, but um, but I did want to say that by the end of this movie I was just like Man, who won the Oscar this year? Why yeah. was it not Samuel L. Jackson? Honestly. I mean, he's he so good. It. He is so incredible and just beautiful in this movie. I he I this is when I, I really like fell in. I've always loved him as an actor, sure. but this is when I like fell in love with him because he is he is so dynamic in this movie and is brings so much heart and and truth to this character and is just unbelievable in it. Like I, even just rewatching re it, I'm like, God, yeah, he is so good. And like always known he was good. No question about it. But it just, it's one of those moments you're like, wow, this, this man is fucking incredible. Yeah. And also I think that in a role like that, in a role like Jules, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's very easy to remember the flashy parts. It's right. You know, it's very easy to remember the Ezekiel monologue. It's, yeah. And, and those are, those are powerful, awesome, right. iconic scenes and sequences. But to me, the part that's interesting about him is being the guy who's got as level head as a level of a head as he can, right? Yeah. Like calling, you know, taking him to take, they, they shoot Mar, Mar, Marvin, I think. And, um, and then they have to yeah. go to Jimmy and then they have to go to the wolf and yeah. him trying to talk Vincent down because Vincent's kind of a hothead. Yeah. And then him having this like psycho, you know, spiritual breakthrough in yeah. the course of this movie and, and it not being bullshit. I mean, he's right. really talking about like important things yeah. and having a realization. And then the scene at the end this is the first oh. time that i really appreciated the scene at the end with him and tim roth oh my god it's great i wanted to bring this up so i'm glad we are Good. talking about yes. it it's so i like i was sitting on an airplane when i was re-watching this movie and i had to look around tilt my head up and go don't you dare cry on this plane you dumb bitch because it his his monologue to him when he says I know that I am the evil man. Mm -hmm. I am the evil men in this in this Ezekiel quote. And I I want to be the shepherd, and I'm really trying. That to me, like, <sighs> yeah. is so beautiful, and it's just such a such a shift from the beginning of the movie. And yeah, and to see that, and you just you see how genuine he is, and that he really wants to be this person, and is doing this all of this with him to become what he he wants yeah i think is just amazing and is so 
so uh, it's just so different from from where he started right. in the film. And to see him get to that point is just so like heartwarming in a way and is really beautiful. Yeah. The intensity between him and Tim Roth is so quiet. Yes. Also, oh my God. Which, I, you know, obviously there's chaotic moments, there's right. frantic moments during the exchange. Right. But the scene between just the two of them locked in with each other. Yeah. So close. Yeah. So quiet, which is even, it makes it even more powerful that they're not, they don't have to scream. They don't have right. to, it's very intense, but very directed and pointed and quiet. Yep. And I, and they, and he still keeps it funny. Yeah. Like even when he's like, we're going to be like Fonzie. Like, uh -huh. What's Fonzie? Like he's cool. Uh -huh. Like that's like, he still has that Jules. Right. Comedy aspect, but he's so, he just gets his point across in a way that is so moving and so intense that it just, God, he's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's really good. That scene in particular was kind of amazing. Oh, my God. Um, so before we move on, I wanted to ask you, uh, are there any other things in particular that we haven't touched on that you would like to touch on? And feel free to consult. Yeah. Oh, yes. I was about to consult my notes and I remembered. Um, what I love about this movie that also I think for me changed a lot was just the the genre bending and and sure. because there's no I mean people can debate that there is or or is not but I cannot pin for me I cannot pin one genre on this movie mm -hmm. which I think is incredible and so fascinating as as a viewer because there's, you know, it's crime and then there's yeah. like the, the thrill aspect, but then it's funny yeah. and, and, but also sometimes heartwarming and, but dark and it's so, uh, that's what I, that's what I immediately loved about this movie. Cause when I went into it watching it, I was like, okay, we're going to watch like this crime, crime drama kind of action, you know, uh, over the top gore moment mm -hmm. movie. And I was so shocked by the humor mm -hmm. that was brought into it and the real genuine soul searching moments that it had. And I think for me, that was it was a really big moment in, uh, you know, in my life of watching films is that it doesn't have to stick to yeah. one genre. It, movies don't have to be a certain genre. They can be whatever the hell they want. And it works because if you tie it all in. It works perfectly, which is why I love this movie. Yeah, I think, too, that sort of extends to something like Satanic Panic, yeah, too, yeah. in a way. Because, you know, the, the movie is, like Chelsea's been calling it a, a comedy horror movie. Yes. She's specifically not calling it a horror comedy. Yeah. Because we who know what horror comedy means, we go, okay, it's American Werewolf. It's, right. you know, Shaun of the Dead. Yes. But she is saying it is a comedy with strong horror elements. Yes, I completely agree. And, you know, that's divisive for yeah. some people like right. some people really really need, want things to be one or the other right. um horror comedies or comedies with horror in them are really hard oh to my get God. people to you know it, it's just for whatever reason it's hard sometimes for some viewers. Yes. Um, and so my point is, I agree. I love that. Um, I love when movies are not afraid to be a little bit of everything. Yes. And and not be boxed in or yeah. defined yeah. by um by you know parameters of a genre right yeah because yeah. i think it then gives more it gives more opportunity for the characters for the plot for the just for everything to be deeper and yeah. and to explore different different you know levels which 
is great to see because it's not it's not scared to to go a little in a different in in a little you know a different direction. It's yeah. not scared to just stay as it is, which which makes it more interesting, I think, to have those again, like just them talking about cheeseburgers yeah. or, or how they're like, all right, we got to get into character and they're joking. And then to go in and do this intense yeah. scene, I think that is amazing. And it makes it way more fascinating to have all those fun aspects thrown into these dark movies, yeah. which I love. I agree. Um, and one more thing that I actually thought of that I yes. wanted to mention um, was the Ving Rhames. I know it we I mentioned him earlier, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the scene in the pawn shop, mm. you know when he basically has uh, has shot Zed mm. and he gives this monologue, and it's really hard. You know, like I I even think when I was rewatching this movie, like it's hard to do Tarantino dialogue and make it yeah. flow. Yes. Um, Frankly, I don't even think Quentin Tarantino does Tarantino <laughs> dialogue very well. And so, um, like, I, I, man, in this one specifically, I was like, during the Jimmy Uh-oh. scene, I was just like, God, it sounds like you're trying to do bad Tarantino. <laughs> um, but, um, but man, like that monologue and it's oh. pretty much a, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's a one like he yeah. delivers, but he delivers that those lines so slowly mm-hmm. and for me you know that I when I did theater I was always taught that stillness is power yes right and um and I believe that and yeah. especially on screen but I Clark am such a fidgety person oh me too and so <laughs> and for him to just like for Ving Rhames to plant his oh, feet God. and stand so still and then of course Bruce Willis behind him yeah super still so still and he but they just let the camera roll. Mm. And I think that in part is probably because Tarantino knows that he writes di- certain dialogue and he wants to show off the dialogue. Yeah. Um, but I also think it is a testament to Ving Rhames. Oh my God. His yeah. performance is just outstanding. He doesn't have to, he just, he, there's so much emotion in his voice yes. and the power. He doesn't need to do anything else. Yeah. He doesn't need to overwork anything. He doesn't need to, you know, make motions to emphasize things just in his being and the power of him just standing there and delivering that with the emotion and the power in his voice is so moving and is just, it's just a really great piece to watch. Yes. And it's it's just as an actor, you're just like, fuck. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Like he was, man, he was doing it. Yeah. It's just, it was working. Amazing. It was was very cool. Um, Okay. So everybody gets the opportunity to add Ah! a movie to the list that's not on the list. Um, So do you have a movie that you would like to add to the list? I do. The movie I would love love to add to the list is Birdman. Oh, yeah, great call. Birdman is probably one of my top cuz I I go back and forth cuz I'll forget about a movie and I'll see it and I'll be like, "Oh god." Yeah. But I would say that's when I my go-to one of my favorite films. I I remember seeing that when I was in I think I was in college again when it, you know, when it came out mm-hmm. and I saw it in theaters with my mom and my boyfriend at the time. And I could not stop crying at the end. Mm. And I I was just sitting there and I was so embarrassed because I was just sobbing into my little scarf. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, I'm good. And I pulled it together and I went to the bathroom and I sat down on the toilet and just cried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just was like, I need a moment. And that film stuck with me. I just thought, I mean, first of all, it's unbelievable in its shots. Yeah. 
how long those that gives me that me, I'm sweating thinking about yeah. doing that because like the, the talent it takes and the time that it takes to not mess up one of those scenes and to just roll as long as they did yeah was amazing in first I I love they filmed in New York yeah. I, lo- I mean I'm a sucker I live in New York I love that but just the acting it was I mean I'm a huge Emma Stone fan uh-huh. I love her to death and it was such a different character for her especially yeah. at this time in her career it was such a such a 180 from doing you know comedies yep. and and she was phenomenal in it and Michael Keaton I yeah. he just broke my heart in this movie and I think a lot of actors can relate to this movie in a yeah. way that you know and I felt at this time I was going through like a, a, a rough time in my life and also in you know just in my career and mm-hmm. wanting to just have you know you want people to like you and and I think watching that from this from this you know older actor who in the movie is you know kind of washed up and is trying to reinvent his career and make people care mm-hmm. oh my god it just broke my heart and just again at this time I was also this was I think this came out while I was in that history of film class okay so when I watched it you're the, noticing oh my yeah. god the imagery and the colors and the meanings of everything that also I think gave me a bigger appreciation for the film and whole as a whole and I just I love I love that movie to death yeah it's so good Michael Keaton speaking of renaissance you know oh like, yeah Michael Keaton coming back onto the yeah. main stage with yeah. Birdman is um, really, really cool oh, because yeah. he has always been, you know, he's one of those talents. He's honestly, I don't remember if I've ever said this on the podcast before, but I believe that in another life, Michael Keaton could have had Tom Hanks's career. Uh, 100%. You know what I mean? Yep. And don't you guys, if you listen to the pod, know. I love Tom Hanks. I think oh, he, yeah. I think so he is cute. wonderful and, yeah. and and you know people forget that Tom Hanks is funny. I yeah. I mean which, oh you know, on top of being a great dramatic actor, but the point I'm making is Keaton similarly was doing comedy yeah. and was the funny guy. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of transitioned a little bit clean and sober yeah. and um and like he the paper um and and of course Batman was the thing that just changed everything. And I think that this is going to sound really silly, but go with me here. (laughs) I think that Forrest Gump was Tom Hanks's Batman. Like it's almost like you solidify who you are um, with one iconic role. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that Tom Hanks is going to be remembered forever as Forrest Gump. I think he's going to be remembered forever as Tom Hanks, quite frankly. But that was the movie that everyone is like, oh, Tom Hanks. And it defined him in so many ways. Now, of course, you know, Big was a huge movie um, and got and he was nominated for an Oscar. But um, but yeah, I think that that was the one that solidified the Tom Hanks of it all. And so with Keaton. I think that Keaton, and also I think Keaton's kind of a weird guy, like in real life. Oh yeah, <laughs> which which is cool, which, which makes I love. him, and it makes yeah. him perfect for Batman. Yes, you know, he yeah. was a great. I think he's still my favorite Batman. Yep. Um, but to your point, I love that he got this opportunity yes. to really shine mm-hmm. and work with a director who had such a vision. Yes. And um and yeah, and I agree. Emma Stone's excellent. Ed Ed Norton's Ed, oh, excellent. Hey, he was so good in that movie. And I remember just sitting there and 
cringing because I was like, I've seen actors yeah. like that, like just so, so like just all just so self masturbatory in well, a way. I'm like, oh, my God. And it is interesting in a way that, uh, you know, they kind of are taking the piss out of themselves yes. a little. Yeah. Because obviously like Birdman and Batman, this is yes. this is yeah. not an accident. You right. cast Michael Keaton on purpose. But right. Ed Norton also has a reputation of being difficult and yes. being a ridiculous yeah. human in yeah. a lot of ways. And so I kind of you know, it made me just go, ah, this is, it, yeah. you know, he has to know, oh, right? Yeah. He has to know, but doesn't care. I don't know, yeah. but it's fascinating if you want to read between the lines. But yeah, yeah I think that that's an, I think that's a great, yeah. great addition. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I am so happy that we did this. Yes, me too. And um, I'm going to tell the audience that uh, we're going to record a little mini episode, um, which they can listen to on Thursday. And uh, so, yeah. So if you're interested in that, you can stay tuned but um until then Haley, yeah. thank you so much thank you for having me this was so much fun this was great you were amazing and oh, i'm so glad you, you picked pulp fiction oh thank you I'm, I'm glad i'm glad it worked out it was awesome <laughs> all right so i will see you in just a minute Alrighty, friends, that's going to do it for me and Haley here from the Oak Cliff Film Festival in Dallas, Texas. But uh, I recorded a special mini episode with Haley, sort of talking about her experience on Satanic Panic, her love of horror movies. And now she's in a horror movie, what it was like to and a horror movie produced by Fangoria, no less. Um, and what it was like to be at that world premiere with her family. And it just was a it was a really, really fun conversation. So that will be live um, at patreon.com slash Clark Wolf on Thursday for $5 and higher monthly contributors. So if you're thinking about checking it out, I would highly recommend uh, popping over there and taking a look. There is a new mini every week. And um, thank you all so much for listening. And thank you once again to the Oak Cliff Film Festival for having me. This was truly a wonderful experience. And for all of you uh, young filmmakers out there, um, or new filmmakers out there, I would highly recommend looking into this film festival and um, and Dallas in general for, for production. So it's oakcliffffilmfestival.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will see you again Thursday. Bye.